Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London blue podcast just drop in the links brandon busby come on Slow down there. You're, you're, you're just ahead of the game here. I'm always ahead of the game. And some of us are just waking up from, from naps after a stupid early kickoff. That's understandable. When you live on the West Coast, these noon London time matches offer no favors. The, the noon London time match is terrible for Londoners, too. It cuts Correct. down what, when you actually can go to the pub and you can have a pre-match it cuts down on the pre-match drinking time i mean it gives you plenty of time if there's a win and a victory to celebrate to have a wonderful afternoon into evening but you know the pre-match is an important part and i know i know our boy nick verlaine who hasn't said a single word yet is a huge fan of the pub shenanigans and uh, probably feels the same way i do 12 o'clock london kickoff time not great that is not right. paying attention. There no, you go. I'm here. There he is. I just, there he I is. just don't. I just don't. You know, look. I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt the the master's flow. That's all. Just just trying to put out links. Just trying to get organized. That's all. For the first time in forever. Well, Brandon threw the hosting duties on me at ten fifty nine. So, um, trying to trying to make sure that this is all this is all set up properly. And now. So impossible to mess stories. up. Ben Ben suggests that you're watching the players right now, Nicholas. I actually don't like watching golf that much. Um, I really don't. I, I'd much prefer to play. I watched part of Palace West Brom because I'm a degenerate. Oh my gosh! You you really are just a, a glutton for punishment, aren't you? Apparently, apparently, Let's see. So Brandon Busby, um, you know, just as we kind of maybe get into this thing here, uh, how you feeling? Like instant reaction. You know, we don't we don't really do a lot of instant reactions. But what's your what's your mood? What's your take? What's your temperature? Well, the the instant reaction is that we're still undefeated under Tuchel. 
still not conceding goals, sure. which are the positives. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the fan in me is frustrated and annoyed that we didn't pick up points and, and we didn't win against a team who's had wildly inconsistent form, uh, has been beaten by teams far worse than Chelsea. Um, and we just seem to continue to, to really produce a heck of a lot going, uh, going forward, unfortunately. Welcome into the room, Howard, Josette, Adrian, Derek, Ben, Jonathan, Anna, and Jay. How are we all doing today? That's good. Hopefully get a few more in here and get this thing cranking. We just we just put out the links on uh, on all the the social platforms. So I'm hoping continue to add people as we go here. Uh, Dan, I, I think to your point uh, and and just the instant reaction, um, this was an incredibly stupid game filled with a lot of <laughs> stupid decisions. Uh, with a, a, you know, I think I think it started with the manager today. Uh, I don't. I don't think you're. If you're Tuchel, you can escape what was a really odd lineup uh, that acted two different ways depending if you were attacking or or defending. And uh, you know, I think I think it kind of starts with him. You know, we just played a really great game, probably the best under under his reign against against Everton. I thought you know the team looked really sharp. Uh, he could have gone on a little bit of longer rest in with some of that same personnel um, against Leeds in a game that would have uh, vaulted us into third place in the Premier League uh, and decided that, uh, that he was going to make six changes to the team sheet. And I think the at the end of the day, you know, that's that's kind of where I think I'd want to start this is around the lineup and what went right and. The answer is very little. <laughs> yeah, I think there's two considerations that I would just put out there initially at the lineup is, you know, you have Madrid coming up midweek. And, you know, I, th- I think Tuchel did call out uh, that they, you know, the issue is that you can't play Jorginho and you can't play Mason. Uh, so you were going to play both of those players in, in this lineup. I, I think some of the... <laughs> in from the cold type of experiences for throwing uh, Pulisic out in this match for uh, throwing Ziyech out um, Kai coming in for a, a start as he gets back up to speed all, all feels a little weird. I, I don't necessarily know if I think that the, there were really you know any issues with the, the back three. I mean, as is definitely maybe a, a step slower, <laughs> but that's just a, uh, an age thing in the way that Liverpool or now Leeds play rather is that they, uh, you know, do press. Uh, they are a very fit team and, you know, we're are going to run you into the ground and uh, definitely put us put us on our heels for quite a bit of bit of the game. But, you know, I think ultimately, Brandon, um, you know, a, a lot of head scratchers, uh, even considering the midweek. Well, um I talked about it. Uh, it would have been with, with um, Gary Hayes and they did the clubhouse and we we're talking about the lineup, you know, the last lineup we had against Everton and no Mason Mount. And, you know, I kind of asked, I was like, do you think that 
that Tuchel has a bit of an eye on Leeds because they're such a unique team in the way they play and the way they set up. You know, he didn't have Mason and Conte. So, you know, Nick, if, if we want to look at lineups right away, I was I, I was thinking heading into this one after Everton, like for sure Mount and Conte are going to play. Conte in his usual position, Mason in a somewhat familiar position. But he, to your point, he shuffled the deck completely. Um, and I think that that created some chemistry issues amongst the team. I mean, the lineup, if we, if we run through it real quick, you had Mendy, it was a, allegedly a four, two, three, one, I think is what is officially put out there. Mendy in between the sticks, you had Chilwell left back, Rudiger, Aspie center, or I'm sorry, Rudiger, Christensen, center backs, Aspie right back. Then you had Conte and Jorginho as your two, your double six or double pivot, whatever he calls it. Then you had Ziyech in the 10, Havertz as a striker, and then Mount on the left and Pulisic on the right, but they were pretty fluid, Nick. So, um, well, first of all, definitely uh, not what any of us predicted. <laughs> first of all, thank you for saying uh, Havertz uh, correctly, so we didn't have to drink liquor this early in the morning. Um, yeah, this is it was weird. You know, I think you could understand playing Kai uh, two matches in a row. You want to build his confidence. You know that that makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's not just about the personnel. It's the way that he you know, decided to attack, um, which, you know, for the life of me, didn't didn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, but, you know, you even look at some of the rotation makes sense here, right? You know, Alonzo plays Monday. You know, it, it would stand a reason that, you know, Chilwell would play at the weekend and, and maybe Alonzo would then play midweek. So there's, you know, that, that rotation makes sense. You had uh, Kurt Zuma play Monday, and so Rudiger's back, so a little bit of rotation there makes sense. Uh, Pulisic playing right wing back, or whatever other position it was uh, in, in attack, was interesting. I don't know uh, if if I if I would have if I would have done that. He he's so much more dangerous coming in from the left. And then Ziyech Dan is the one that is really starting to baffle me right now. One, I don't know what position he was playing at all. Um, he was just kind of floating around. And two, when he did receive the ball in, in dangerous spaces, his his end product just didn't look uh, remotely close to, to where it needed to be. So you, you had all these kind of interesting decisions with Mason Mount kind of playing another free role, um, which you know, I, I didn't quite understand. Not his normal number 10 role here. And the lineup just kind of jumbled. Players were unsure of the spaces they had with each other. Um, yeah, it just looked a little weird to me, Dan. The, I think the one tweet that I saw from our, our friend, uh, another Dan, great name, from Smarter Scout, was a, a shot of the lineup and asking the question of, uh, nobody, absolutely nobody. This is what ten, uh, four fluid tens would look like in a lineup, and it kind of felt like that. That uh, plenty of times there was not a central choice, even though Havertz really was the one who was guiding more to the central position. There was a. It felt a lot like jazz, and I don't think football and jazz should be equivalents in execution. It should be a little bit more drilled in than that. Well, yeah, and to be, you know, I think that's because, you know, 
Havertz has played in a 10 and a false nine of these things, but like Tuchel said after the match, he was there to be a true number nine. Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> how, how that worked, you know, whatever. If it's false nine or true nine, doesn't really matter. If it didn't work, it, it didn't work. The subs later in the match were Timo Werner, Reese James, Calum Hudson, Doy, to which can, can, you, can either of you confirm that we did go to a back three at that point? I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. It, th- this formation was like an amorphous blob to me. There, there were times where I saw a straight four across the back um, that was pretty clearly defined in the way that the, the spacing was. And then there were times then that I saw a three with the wingbacks pressed really high up, and including Joel and, and Pulisic. Then there were times where I saw a front like five or six <laughs> that were just kind of interchanging in a, in a blob. Like it, it was it was interesting to to kind of take in and, and see what what Tuchel was really trying to do. And I think it probably just caused more confusion um, amongst the team. Than, than we had seen with the previous more rigid structure that, that we've deployed. Well, what you saw in the average location mapping is that Pulisic on average was the highest player on, on the pitch uh, all day long. I think Chilwell was, was next highest. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when Reese came on, uh, I actually think he, he did more, horizontally uh, a lot of his runs kind of tucked him actually into into midfield positions uh, i mean he had the one run where he basically was almost on the left-hand side of the pitch at that point like running up and it was just very interesting to see it not i i think it's one of those things where it's an idea and you talk about like man this is a really great idea and then when you actually go to execute the idea and you see it you're like oh yeah this did not come together in the way I visualized it at all. The visualization did not match the reality of the situation. Nick, is it, is the, it fair to, is it fair to bring up DMS and WhatsApp that you mentioned? What do you mean? Brandon? Oh, he's, he's going to drop some, you're going to drop, drop some heat. You're going to put Nick on blast. Not on blast. I think, I think it's a good thing to talk about. Right. So like it's been pretty smooth sample for Tuchel up to this point. I think a lot of people are disappointed with the way it went, but you just had some very, in hindsight, you just had, I think, a, a, a fair criticism of Tuchel and this lineup. And maybe, because this isn't a Chelsea that we've seen under Tuchel at all, to your guys' point. It's amorphous blob. It's not really flowing. It's jazz music. I mean, to the point is, it was just pure chaos during this match, whether we were in a back four or back three or whatever. Um, and I think that you had some pretty strong words of like, the way Tuchel set this team up and maybe he's trying to be too cute, trying to out Bielsa Bielsa things to the, to that, to that uh, yeah. effect. I, I think, I think his ego got in the way today. I, I, I do. Um, and you know, every top manager has an ego. This is not news and it's not really a, a criticism um, more than it is just, I think he got caught. In this, I don't know what this obsession is of having to out tactic Bielsa. Uh, you know, every seems like every game that Leeds plays, the the opposition manager is trying to out tactic him. Like he's the second coming. Like Leeds are not a team that you want to aspire to be. Uh, you know, 
I, I think the the teams that have beaten Leeds, Manchester United beat them seven one, something like that earlier this year, seven two. Just play a simple counterattack against them, and they knock them out really quickly. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think they're I think opposition managers and Tuchel got brought into this today. Want to try and do everything they can to to beat up on Bielsa, and I, I think that's just stupid personally. Um, so uh, I that's kind of what I believe. I don't know if that's the case or not, but kind of seems like he got uh, his hand stuck in the cookie jar right there. I, but I mean, I think to the other point of that, I mean, they've also done the business against other teams that we would kind of look at as uh, you know being quality opposition, right? You know, for every. Um, every wonky result they've had. They've also had ones where they pop up and they beat Leicester at the end of January three, one, you know, you kind of go back even further and, you know, the, you know, we, we had a good, you know, they beat Everton one nil. Um, so, I mean, they beat, they drew city one, one, like they have been, I think a more frustrating side to play against. Uh, so even some of the managers you might say are some of the better in the Premier league have been, have been frustrated by them. Yeah, but I think you're frustrated by them if you try and outplay the way that they play. Not, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm going to bring Ben in to to discuss this, but I think I think my last point on this before we bring Ben in is if you try and out attack leads, I think that's where you get caught. And the problem is that Chelsea do not have a great attack right now. So I'm going to bring Ben in for a quick uh, little dose of reality. What's going on, Ben? Hey, guys, not much, not much. Uh, just, uh, yeah, frustrated, frustrated about this game today. Um, uh, just to jump on what Nick just said, I, I think uh, I think this, you know, this formation was just, conf- I think everybody was confused by it as soon as they put it out. Nobody really knew what it was going to look like. And... Uh, the the one big thing I have from this game is I would I would like had to have seen Mount uh, play a deeper role and uh, just fire that counter off you know just absorb leads all game and 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 counter them with their speed up top I think that would have been the way to go yeah that that is interesting Ben uh, one of the things that we did notice throughout the day and I'll I'll ping I'll get your your second thought on this is that. When when we did turn the ball over in midfield, Conte and Jorginho failed to string the last ball together, right? I thought N'Golo was great otherwise, but I, I think we kind of failed uh, on, on that last ball through to Havertz or over the top to Pulisic. So you think that Mason Mount could have provided a little bit more uh, depth there, right? Yeah, I think if nothing else, he's going to add a little more aggression. He's going to go for passes that, uh, you know, Conte and Jorginho and Kovacic, when he's in there, are not going to go for. Um, I think we there was a couple times at least, and I know I remember one with Havertz and one with Pulisic, and I know there was more, but those are the two that I remember where you, you can see clear releases right down the field, and, and they just hesitate. They dribble more, dribble more. It's, it's like they want to walk the ball to them rather than let them run onto it. Definitely feel you. Definitely feel you. I'm going to bring in Jay. Thank you, Ben, for the quick comments. Jay, what's up, man? Looks like you're on mute, Jay. Uh, just muted myself. Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, Jay. Hey. Jay. So, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence that first time Tuchel kind of changes things up a little bit against a incredibly hard to figure out leads or not figure out, but like play against that uh, we kind of end up with this like mixed feeling of, you know, like in the first half of the first half, I was like, oh man, it's going to be like a 5-5 thriller. And then toward the end of the second half, I should have taken a nap. Um, so it was interesting, but hopefully Tuchel takes away some lessons from this and, you know, at least we got to see Pulisic kind of starting to perform a little bit better and um, Zayesh, not so much. Heart goes out for him because I still have his jersey. But yeah, all eyes on Atletico. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we got to turn around and, and up the game and get ready for the next one. I mean, these games, this season's wild. They're coming thick and fast. Um, Nick, the, you talked about the scoreline. I'm st- I, I personally was watching this game frustrated. The first five minutes, I thought we could have scored. The, you know, there's about a 15-minute spell in the second half. I thought for sure we are going to concede. Mendy was fantastic, but there's no surprise that I'm going to say those things. I, I just I just felt like Tuchel was such a, a system guy, and the system was completely blown up. And because of, like, the changes we put in position – what I w- what I saw a couple times was Aspi did it once. I know Christensen did it once. Rudiger as well. When they would get the ball under pressure, we're used to playing that three five or three four three system, and the patterns of play have been kind of like embedded in these players. When we switch to four two three one, your teammates aren't in the same occupy. They don't occupy the same spaces that they you're, you're used to. So as they're under pressure and have less time on the ball than they're used to, they go to that immediate outlet, and it wasn't there today. And our passing lanes were off. Our passing patterns were – our moving patterns were off. And it was so disjointed. But when you look at the lineup, I thought the lineup was fine from a personnel standpoint. But it was just the system was completely broken. I think that's why we struggled more than usual of going and attack. Yeah, I think I think this is my, my next prompt for, for someone who, who wants to join the discussion in here. So please just uh, send your speaker request in. We're we're now twelve games into this, right? Um, and we just against Everton started to see the semblance of a a really decent Premier League performance offensively. You probably could have had three, four, five uh, against Everton if Timo Werner could uh, shoot on goal and, and score. Uh, and you know, Kai got unlucky with the with the handball, right? So th- there's there's a semblance of a really good performance in there. What I tweeted out immediately this morning is why change that? <laughs> why change the structure for for this game against a really difficult opponent? You know, who's going to man mark you? So to I don't know. I, th- I think this is what I want to bring Jonathan in for, yeah. but. Or, to, to me, this is it was just silly to change up the structure of, of how the team is going to pass against man marking. That, that's kind of where I'm at, Jonathan. What about you? Yeah, uh, Nick. Uh, yeah, I'm just I was just confused about the whole the game, man. The, the, the whole lineup, <laughs> the, the way the system, <laughs> like I said, like, you know, going forward, it was going to be like, you know, three in the back. But then defending will be the uh, chill drop back and then. Pulisic would play a different position. It was a, it was a weird lineup, but I'm afraid, you know, like I, I agree with your point that like saying like 
last game was our best game. And the fact that he had to change, I don't know why he changed it, but I'm afraid now this is Tuchel's going to be like this. Like, for example, like I, you know, I was listening to uh, the fan cast like a while back when they had uh, a guy from Dortmund on and he was saying Tuchel does this. He always changes his formations based on the opponent, you know, and I'm afraid that he's going to continue to just keep experimenting and changing systems and, and we're not going to get any fluidity, you know, that's what I'm, I'm worried about. But uh, yeah, it's just frustrating. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I think that's where that's where I'm at. It's like you just you just stumbled upon something kind of good, and you just took it and, and ran with it. And I, I, I like I acknowledge to me that that there is a massive match coming up on Wednesday. I know you have to rotate talent, right? This is not a criticism of that, but at the same time, you don't have to change up the structure and the formation. You just have to change up the personnel. Uh, which it was, that was the confusing part of this, you know, like, especially when there's so much on the line with the league, uh, right now, you, you have to win all these matches. As Dan said, they're all finals. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts, uh, to close that Jonathan, if not, I'm going to bring in John in, into the mix here. John, what's going on, man? Hey guys, uh, I agree a lot with what Jonathan just said. You know, we kind of all knew going into this what we were going to get from Tuchel as far as the lineup rotation and, you know, definitely testing things out with different formations and, um, you know, passing movements of how we're going to play. But I just can't help but think that, you know, Leeds was the, the wrong game to really go about this first major strategic alteration in the game plan, um, both because of the man marking and because he's been so consistent through, you know, the first dozen games of how he was going to set the team up. And, you know, you've seen over the past few games that the, the central midfielders have, uh, you know, kind of turned to look for their usual balls out to the wing backs or to the wings tracking back. And that's been covered up uh, today. I you know can't count how many times Conte and Jorginho turned to look for those passes and because of the man marking, their only option was to kind of, you know, pause and hesitate for a second and then start to carry the ball themselves. Um, you know, and they're both somewhat reluctant to do that. So I, I'm just puzzled by the fact that Tuchel waited for this particular matchup to um, to change that game plan, how the team was going to set up uh, positionally on the field. Absolutely. All right. That That to me is... It's kind of where my head's at, John. What what do you make of some of the, you know, let's look at Mason Mount and Pulisic, for example, right? Who kind of had different roles than we've seen them in uh, previously. What, what did you make of their performances in this kind of amorphous blob moving forward? You know, I thought uh, Pulisic looked pretty good starting the game off and had a couple chances. Um, I think his one actual shot on goal was, you know, um, not the strongest uh, connection he's ever had and was hit right at Melier. Um Mount, you know, I, I kind of expected more out of him knowing that he's not going to be there for the Champions League match. Um, I kind of thought he'd run himself into the ground today, um, and I was also surprised to see him, you know, come off in the 75th minute or whatever it was then as a result of that. Um, I think putting him out on the wing with this passing system and how the buildup plays – 
I think that isolates and kind of limits his skills. Um, you know, at Southgate, the past couple England matches had moved him back into the you know deeper line center midfield position, which isn't his natural position, but he proved pretty effective with that. And you know, I, I'd kind of like to see clearly this you know the three four three is uh, something we're going to stick with likely for the rest of this year to get some of the more attacking influence in while also using his um, engine and you know, defensive motor. Um, I'd kind of like to see him, you know, possibly play one of the two central midfield spots uh, with Conte or Kovacic for one of these matches. Um, I know that doesn't give you quite as much defensive steel in those positions, but because of his vision and his ability to you know, see passes in all directions, I'd like to see how that works because playing in that spot in England's three four three for their you know couple friendlies in the October November windows, um, I think one of which he played you know with his good buddy Declan Rice in the central midfield at three four three. I think that would be something worth exploring to see if that could help open things up by pushing one of our you know offensive minded players a, a little bit deeper and giving him kind of that um, Pirlo role of being able from a deeper position to use his vision and try to hit some of those long passes. And that's not the last time we'll hear Mason Mountain Pirlo in the same sentence. I'm <laughs> sure of that. Uh, let's let's talk about Kai. Is he is he the Pompey Pirlo? Well, that now I like that little little, little uh, Portsmouth reference. I like that. Uh, th- thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. Uh, what, so one interesting thing. One thing before you get on Kai is just um, to round out your conversation around changing what we were trying to do. If I don't know, like this is the type of thing where you go look at it after the fact and you're like, why didn't we do this type of scenario? Um, we, we actually should have played way more differently than we typically play because the 12 of the losses – that Leeds have had this entire season. They have 14 losses in the Premier League. Come when they have 59% or more percent of possession. And today they had 39%. Like, we, we, should, have, we should have not been possession at all. It was terrible. We should have changed everything. We should have scrapped this entirely. Well, that's why we're bringing in Shane, who, who wants to, who wants to uh, say his, his normal jabs in, in audio form. Uh, to the group. So, hello, Shane. How are we doing? Uh, I'm doing really well, Nick. Thanks. I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive. Can y'all hear me all right? Gotcha. <laughs> he, just, he just took the uh, took the knife out, polished it off, put it back in the drawer, Nick. Yeah. I, well, maybe maybe I'm just being silly. I just like I saw the three center backs, whatever we want to call them. I saw the two wide players. I saw the two center midfielders. I saw a central attacker. And I saw two attackers playing off them. And I saw him try to play Pulisic in the Callum Hudson and Doe role. I saw Chilliwell play the Alonzo role. I saw Havertz take up the nine, not the false nine, as per Tuchel, not per me. And it uh, uh, didn't really look great. I just don't, I mean, that's a separate conversation. I just, is that is that just way off? Am I just reading that completely wrong? I think the... Uh, on the formation piece, there, there was a lot of discussion around this, but I think in the first half with the way the game started, 
there were clearly defined four back and three back, depending if we were attacking or defending, um, which is a different look than the normal uh, Antonio Conte shape that we've gotten used to seeing over the last uh, 10 or so weeks. So I think that's where people are coming from. Shane, whether you saw the same thing or not is is certainly uh, up for debate here, but that's that's what I saw at the beginning of the game. And I think it, slowly morphed into more of what you were talking about around like 60th minute or so. Um, and especially once Reese James came on, but yeah, it was, it was not as structurally sound as what we have seen uh, from, from the patterns of play previously. Well, I, think, I think that's because it was, it was loose through the middle too. And, and, you know, Jorginho dropped much further back than he has in some of the games recently. And that kind of pushes the shape out right, and I mean he must he must parts the seas wherever he moves, and you know if he drops further back, it pushes other players out wide. I mean it doesn't help too, Shane. I mean we were getting, you know the 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 one thing that leads to very well is they can press for an extended period of time, and it didn't really give a lot of people passing lanes. And I think that that's you know there were times where the center backs were looking for the person who was usually there to receive a pass, and they weren't necessarily always available. Uh, to a point Brandon made earlier. And and maybe that is kind of an indication that at least initially we weren't where we were thought we were going to be. And then we eventually started finding ourselves as, you know, leads let up a little bit and got leggy. And we started to kind of get back to maybe more of our standard operating procedure. I mean, I think the stat, the stat is well known that, you know, uh, Tuchel has made the most changes of any Premier League manager since he's came, come in. Um, yet we still kept defensive solidity. I was so surprised at the, at the lineup in the back, honestly, Shane, um, it it was definitely had a different feel, different vibe to it. Um, but it it seemed to, again, protect the clean sheet thanks to two huge saves from Mendy, um, and a lot of scrambling defense. But again, we, I just can't figure out if it was the leads effect that changed everything or if it was just Chelsea, not sharp on the day. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw it as Pulisic not knowing how to play the the role yet and like totally stretching the right side of the formation all out of whack. But maybe that was just my coming into the assumption that it was a, you know, like for like attempted replacement. And the one thing I just wanted to say is like, suppose he did completely change it. When you give a manager an 18 month contract, uh, a really shiny chance at a run in the Champions League is probably uh, a really good really good temptation to, to make all sorts of crazy changes to go into the Champions League game with the best chance, even though we might think that the Premier League is, is in some sense a bigger. That's a, that's a really interesting point. Um, I, you know, I've been thinking about this, right, <laughs> a lot. And, and I think, you know, for, for everything, you know, balancing all these priorities, it has to be incredibly challenging. I'm going to bring Jay back in. Um, it has to be incredibly challenging, but if you look at who's left in the champions league and you look at where Chelsea is in the premier league, it would seem at this point, Jay, that the premier league top four is a far more attainable goal than a deep run into the champions league, i.e. semifinal or final. Do you agree with that? Why not us, baby? 
Uh, yeah. No, not one of you. Yeah. Not one of you. All right. Oh. Bring it. Oh, man. I really am mad at myself for saying that. Um, yeah, no, I definitely top four. It's most realistic, in my opinion. Um, it'll be interesting to see how far we go in the Champions League. You know, I'm always down for a surprise. That's kind of in our DNA. Um, but, yeah, no, I just – I also had a, another question to put to the group. You know, Matt Lobb talked about in your guys' last part of how, you know, his first hiccup is really going to show what this team is made of right now. And, you know, keeping everything in perspective, if this is their first hiccup or United, or but even then, like, it's United, um, it's not that bad of a hiccup. You know, like, the guy try, tried something a little different. Maybe it didn't work out as well as he planned, but... Um, I don't know. It's, it's good to kind of remind ourselves of that. But at the same, on the flip side of that, I was reading the uh, athletic piece the other day of how Chelsea really perfected the art of the new manager bounce. And they were just going down the list of, you know, Mourinho only lost one in between like an August and December. Adam Grant only two defeats in 34 games. Scolari is unbeaten in his first 12. Hiddink lost only one in his first 22. Uh, Ancelotti only lost twice, um, but won 18 out of his first 23. Even uh, Villas-Boas and Di Matteo, like, and even Sarri, like all of them had very similar opening runs as Tuchel. So it's just interesting to see that pattern kind of continue, but at the same time, you know, give Tuchel credit where it's due. Yeah, the <laughs> the the list that you just ran through is it seems like it could be even longer. Um, <laughs> that that list of, of new managers, but it is a good point. Uh, it also is is part of the reason why this team is is frustrating to watch uh, when you enter into year two of a a manager. Right? Is because I think a lot of the players, whether they know it or not, have been conditioned to just expect turnover. And with turnover of a manager, Brandon comes new expectations, new methods, uh, you know, a new chance to prove yourself. And it is an interesting, uh, it's an interesting scenario to think about from a, from a team dynamics perspective, let alone a results perspective. Look, he keeps the team on their toes. He's not promising minutes to anyone. I think Aspi and Rudiger are probably the big, biggest beneficiaries of, of Tuchel coming in. You know, outside of that, Christensen, uh, come rotation. on. Well, but Christensen didn't get a run until till Silva got injured. So I'd say he's more of a beneficiary from an injury rather than like just Tuchel coming in because we all knew Silva was the number one in that spot. Um. So I, I think a lot of these players, you know, Chilwell, big money signing, um, not consistent. Even Reese James, Helen Hobson, Adoy on the right wing, inconsistent. And then the front three. I mean, the front three, you might as well just roll dice every single game. Who knows what what is going to go on with the attack? The only thing we know right now is that we're going to have a double six. I mean, apparently the back three is now even like up for grabs. So, um, yeah, it's just it's it's just different. A lot of players, you know, got to kind of you know there's like a settling period am i in his good graces am i am i you know a starter am i second in the depth chart am i third you know 
if is he only going to play 14 players? Is he going to play 20 players in his squad? Um, I just, yeah, we're still in that settling period trying to figure it all out. All right, we have a, a handful of minutes left here, um, and we're, we've been on for about 40 minutes, so we'll, we'll try and keep this to a little less than an hour. But handful of topics we want to get to left, uh, and so we're going to kind of run through a couple of these, if that is cool with everybody. Uh, the next one that I, I tried to get in uh, that I, I want to talk about is Kai as a formal number nine starting up top. Uh, there was some good. Uh, there was some not so good um, in terms of finishing. Uh, please, someone jump in and tell us your thoughts uh, on Kai uh, and, and his first kind of foray as a, a pure number nine at Chelsea, a role that he definitely thrived in at Leverkusen. And, uh, you know, I think you saw some flashes today, um, a little bit of strength, a little bit of speed. Uh, we're going to get John back in here to, to discuss Kai. John, what's well, up? and uh, the one thing I would add with Kai, just as a, a tactical or kind of topic point here too, is that he had the highest expected goal for the team on his four shots of 0.38 uh, for the total sum of his uh, four attempts. So yeah, guys, I, when he's been healthy, you know, once he's before he got sick with COVID, and since he's recovered and got a run again, I think he's looked good there. And I know Shane brought up that Tuchel is you know, been adamant about saying he's a, a nine, not a false nine. Um, I think it was Michael Callie of the uh, Double Pivot podcast who posted a tweet today and said, you know, the, the false nine narrative really isn't true with, with Kai. Um, I watch a ton of Bundesliga, so I watched him play a lot at Leverkusen. And, you know, his skills really translate to this role in what Tuchel wants to do. Um, it's not like the German national team, you know, when they used to put Mario Goetze, you know, a five, six clear midfielder with the false nine, or when, you know, Spain used to do that with undersized midfielders, um, you know, a, a decade ago, his skills really translate to this. And Michael Cowley's point was, you know, he's a little non-traditional for the role just because of his body type and what he looks like. And he has different skills than a traditional nine. And uh, what another thing Cowley said was the funny thing is that, Harry Kane is a traditional number nine who's now clearly playing as a false nine because of what Mourinho is doing with him and just pulling him back in the midfield to draw the center backs out. But um, I've been really impressed with Kai, and I think he's shown enough flashes of potential that you can see what Tuchel sees in him and realize that he, he could be a good fit long term for this offense. What what did you make, John, though, of, of the lack of finishing? He had a yeah, I would say three clear cut chances. Maybe you could you could add a fourth or a fifth with a, a couple of off, you know, sprayed off he uh, headers uh, that he had during the game. But what did you make of of a couple of the uh, the finishes that? So he could have done better with the one on his right foot, you know, that he blasted right at Melier. Um, I got frustrated with that one because the you know commentators were saying he should have gone far post. He kind of got it caught under his feet a little bit and took an extra half step to get settled, I think because it was on his weaker foot. And by the time he was shooting it, um, I think it was Urente was sliding in, and he actually almost blocked the ball. That's how close he was. So if Kai had tried to shoot it far post, I don't think he would have even got the shot off. I think it was you know blasted down the middle or tried to go near post. And when you're working on your weaker foot, I think he did as well as he could do there that that clearly should have been a better chance yes uh 
could have been a goal and was probably his best opportunity. He ended up with four shots on target. You know, I don't think they were his best shots, but the fact that he keeps getting the opportunities is super promising. Um, you know, it's like we've seen from Timo though, that the chances are coming. The quality of chances is good. The finishing is just subpar and you got to hope the finishing turns around for, you know, both those guys because it could have been a, you know, two or three goal game had the, had the finishing been a better. Well, Naz has um, two cool post-match comments and he talked about Kai and he said, quote, unfortunately he couldn't finish like he did in training and like he can finish. He could have been the decisive guy end quote. And then he added that he's generally happy with him and that he trusts him as a number nine. So it kind of goes back to that training pitch. We're not there. Apparently he's banging him in in training. It just didn't happen. It was just weird. He, he connected on one, which they made a save on, but it seemed like he, there's just three of them that he just couldn't get clean contact. And they just kind of dribbled towards the goal instead of, you know, any type of pace is, is probably going in. So um, definitely unlucky for him. Uh, I would say on the, on the chance that he created on his, on his right foot, Dan, um, where, you know, he got the ball and, and kind of created space for himself. That was like the move, everything up till the shot was, was great. That's what you would expect out of a, a number nine, right. Is to try and turn and make space for yourself. And I think he ended up with so much space <laughs> that he probably freaked out a little bit and was like, Hey, why is, why is no one directly connected to my hip here? Um, I'm I, I'm just going to let this thing rip. And unfortunately this was the one match that Melier didn't make a comical error and dribble one into his own. Yeah. I mean, we almost had the uh, most hilarious own goal of the season to start off the match, uh, potentially off the crossbar and in uh, our luck did not go that way in this particular match. Uh, yeah. His, his, if you kind of go on the ranking, his uh, open shot on the right foot was his right in front of Messier was the, the best opportunity, like right in front of goal followed by the the header off the corner. And then the two attempts on the right, which I think looking at the way the camera was, you know, and just the, the direct feed, it probably looked like it was an easier shot to pull off. But those those two actually ranked much lower in terms of uh, expected goal uh, conversion, too. And Shane is back with another take. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say that uh, to the to the question of how Kai doing at number nine, he's doing just as well as Timo Werner. So, and uh, and as a as a Shane, false nine, you, you just made me so sad, Shane. <laughs> Shane, so sad. Yeah. Shane, my guy. Shane, yeah. we're back on each other's good good graces now. Thank hey, you we, for that. We always were. You just needed to know where to look, my friend. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Cough. I mean, like. <laughs> but I mean, like as a false nine, he needs other people around him to put the chances away, which we know is a problem. And as a proper nine, uh, it's not like anyone else he's really holding out um, who's, who's kind of lighting it up. So, I mean, if that's if that's who it is, that's who it is. I just wanted to make that joke. Thanks. Here's, no, no, you're, you're good. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, and actually, Shane, I want you to stick around for this. Has anyone helped themselves by being out over the last handful of matches more than Tammy Abraham? Uh, and I, I say that because Tammy, I think of the, of the crew right now could be seen as the most clinical finisher uh, of, of the striker. Let's call it group of five. Well, who, you know, whoever's in this group now, right? You have Werner, Abraham, Giroux, 
Kai, uh, maybe Callum as a, as a fifth off striker. So has anyone helped themselves more than Tammy just by being out and seeing the ridiculous amount of not finishing? To, to me, no. I mean, like, uh, he, I love Tuchel. Like, I, um, I just wrote, like, a huge, long email to Chelsea Fancast about, like, why isn't, like, I just need to be positive in life because we're doing, we're doing pretty well. But, like, I will say, I think the one thing that I would, I would sort of, like, be annoyingly stubborn about right now, and if I, if I were getting into an argument, like, anti-Tuchel, is I think Tammy is just completely undervalued by him. But whatever, we're doing well, so. Well, you got Matt Law on your side, so that's a pretty solid ally in that. <laughs> okay, I want to move really quickly to the table, and then I want to finish up with a not Leeds-related topic, but a really important topic, and that is the Chelsea Women's Conte Cup final tomorrow. Uh, so we have to we have to find some time to fit those uh, that wonderful team into this discussion as we almost always do. Uh, we had the chance. Uh, and, and again, if you want to speak, uh, jump on in. We're, we're always happy. The water's warm. Um, we had a chance to go third today, Brandon, uh, tied with Lester on points, uh, but potentially a higher goal differential. We have a plus 19. They have a plus 16, depending on how their, uh, how their match goes tomorrow. They, they could have leaped ahead of us again, but, uh, we, we did not take that opportunity. And, and so we are kind of stuck in fourth on 51 points. West Ham, uh, trailing right behind us, uh, with two games in hand at this point. Obviously they're playing this, uh, this weekend. So th- that'll be one game in hand on 48 points. Everton in the same position on 46 points. Tottenham, North London Derby, uh, on 45 points. So we, we only picked up a point. Uh, what are your thoughts about the the table as it stands as the uh, race for top four kind of heats up? Well, I tell you what, uh, I, t- I said this on the Matt Law pod earlier this week. If in case you missed it, I got receipts. Um, West Ham will know how big of a team they are tomorrow um, against Manchester United. We're going to find out real quick if they are going to make a serious run for the top four or not. I think to me, um, we're lucky in the sense that they have a massive match against uh, a team in second who are probably punching above their weight, but they're there. So you can't argue with it. Um, and I would expect them not to get three points, but if they do, then there's a good chance that Chelsea and West Ham end up in top four, but it's, uh, it's going to be tough. Look, I've been preaching goal difference all season as well. Obviously made no movement on that, but we're plus 19, Leicester plus 16 above us, United plus 23. Um, so it's all tight. It's all, it's all, you know, coming crashing to, to a wild, you know, end, but um, we're still in the driver's seat with, with everything being said, uh, even if huh. West Ham win, they'd have to win by about eight goals to overtake us in goal difference. Well, I think the, the other thing to keep in mind, uh, so we, we all, unfortunately, are secretly Arsenal fans over their next couple of matches to keep Spurs suppressed. And, uh, Pardon me while I go West. vomit really quick, I know, Dan. I, have just, to go. I, I feel disgusted. I will be taking multiple showers after this uh, and after that statement. Uh, mouth will be washed out with soap. But they also play West Ham after that. And ideally, if they could... Uh, 
if they could do us a solid and uh, just absolutely smatter both of those teams, uh, you know, into submission, it would be quite wonderful um, because we have our match against Athletic and we have our FA Cup match. Uh, so we do not have actually a Premier League match again on the calendar, uh, funny enough, until April. So uh, that is just something to keep in mind. So we will stay. We are at where we are until next month. Um, while everyone else is going to be kind of in flux. Who else wants to jump in on this? John, you're back in? Yeah, uh, speaking of doing us a solid, Burnley's doing us a solid against Everton right now, so that's nice to see. Um, I agree with Dan. It's going to feel so weird to root for Arsenal, but... What do you guys think about uh, the the draw option versus West Ham uh, losing outright? I know it feels dirty to possibly cheer for Man U, but are, are we at the point where we need West Ham to get no points out of this match, do you think? I think so. I mean, I know that's crazy, but their game in hand is, is what always kind of gets me. I think just from a math standpoint, I know that that Shane is the math guy on here, so I will I will not speak uh, too ill of the maths. But uh, it is it's when we all get level on points, you start to uh, I think be able to look at this a little bit more objectively. But yeah, I mean, I I think Manchester United are probably going to make top four regardless. Uh, I don't see them going on a massive slide. We kind of went through their schedule the last uh, the last pod with Jenny Chu and. Uh, it, their their end of the year isn't as tough, but I, I think Leicester Leicester's the one that you kind of look at with with their, how they're going to trend towards the end of the year and their last run of matches as as the one you could potentially overtake uh, if you're in a good spot. That's just that's just my thoughts though. So West Ham United on Sunday, Arsenal next week, Wolves, Leicester. So essentially, their next four games are pretty much their toughest tests. Um, you know, until the, until the very end. So it's a, it's a grind for them right now. So like I said, I think we'll find out very quickly whether or not West Ham are going to be a serious top four. Shane or Jay, do you guys want to jump in? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's just incredibly important these next few games for us because they're the easiest that we're going to have for the remainder of the season. I don't know if you guys already said this. Sorry, I got my toddlers screaming at me at the same time I'm listening to y'all. But, um, you know, we got City, Arsenal, Leicester, and Villa as our last four games. So in true Chelsea fashion, it'll probably come down to those or at least, um, well, more than likely Villa. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't come down to that. Tuchel's more sensible, we hope. Can I, can I talk about math? Yes, please. <laughs> we love when you talk about math. Yes, drop it. All right. So the wonderful uh, Vignesh, math Python wizard that he is, put together this really cool five-game for- form guide to basically take that form guide we all see of the wins, draws, losses over the past five matches, which is a way we look at how good a team is going and and quantifies it, just takes the average over the five games and plots this over time. So this is like a measure of if you don't want to look at game by game, but you want to say, like, how are we doing, not taking each game in a vacuum. And 
the next part I'm going to say, you can argue with me about, which is not mathematical, which is I am choosing to draw a line in the middle of the season where Tuchel took over and just say, I'm starting my expectations fresh. If you do that, there is not a single team that has been gaining better points per five games than us, except for Man City. And the data that Vinyesh put up here stops at February 28th, I guess, which is before our two wins back-to-back against Liverpool and Everton. So that would that would put us way back up again. So even this draw at Leeds, uh, draw against Leeds, would, you know, obviously hurts the points per game. But still, like, I think that in a playoff cup mentality, yes, a draw against Leeds in a cup match would be awful. It would be disappointing to go out against Leeds today because we drew them 0-0, but like, that's not how it works. So in terms of performance over time, there's literally no one mathematically who has done better than us other than Man City since Tuchel took over. So I just wanted to get that out there. Just make sure you uh, CC Marina and Roman on that email. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll- it is interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always curious as to how the past impacts the future, right? Um, and, and that's kind of a, a bit of a financial thing, right? Which is past performance is not uh, indicative of, of future results. But um, look, I, I mean, if you if you go unbeaten, that's probably where you, you end up, right? It's, it's kind of near the top of that form table. I think the issue that Chelsea's going to run into is simply around, can you score enough goals? Can you increase your goals per match from essentially, what is it? I think, Dan, 1.09 or 1.11 right now. Uh, can you either ride that out and win one nil through the rest of the Premier League, or can you pick up? Can you find a way to score more goals in a match to to pick up those results? I, I think that's probably the largest question that remains for this team. If they can, there's no doubt. You know, Dan's ninety five percent confidence in finishing in top four is right. Uh, if you can't, uh, it's probably closer to my my sixty. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they, I think they kind of keep. Keep in mind too is that like since the you know we we had a, a a rocky December and January right like so we had plenty of results that have put us in the position now and so while I think it's easy to get you know fixated on the one game versus Leeds even looking back against Everton and Liverpool and if you said hey you get seven points out of these three games do you feel good about that? You know, in, in a black box, you'd be like, yes, I would feel good about that. Uh, it's just the recency of the moment where you're like, oh, yeah, this kind of sucks because we were on a good run. We were on a tear. Uh, we were getting results against teams and, and maybe, you know, punching a little above our weight. And especially when we have finishers, you know, shooters who can't finish. So uh, you know, I think all things to keep in mind. But, you know, in general, I would say the mood is still very positive. Jonathan, what's up, man? Yeah, man. Um, I think the our next three games are going to be the key. Like, like Brighton, Crystal Palace, and West Brom. Right before that West Ham game, we got to take those max points, nine points or close to nine points as possible. And then before, right before that that West Ham game, I think that's going to be the key. Um, back to also where you're saying about goal scoring. We, we don't. Yeah, and I talked about it a lot in the last locker room, like. We don't score enough goals, man. Like we was eleven goals in thirteen games. It, it, we got we got to get better at that. That that's the thing. And hopefully, you know, Abraham could come back and help us. But yeah, it's that's what we need to get. We need to start scoring goals. 
You had you had four number tens on the on the field at one at one time today, <laughs> and could not could not create a, a ton of of guilt edge chances. Dan just put a really interesting stat into our WhatsApp <laughs> with Joe Tweed, so I'm I'm going to out him a little bit here. Uh, Dan, can you share that with? Dan, you're on. Well, I, I, I was texting back and I was on mute, so you, you caught me in a moment. But yeah, uh, so it's point nine nine was the expected goals, and then the the individual chances, nothing uh, shied above a point one eight. So r- really, nothing had more than a twenty percent chance of like actually being a a conversion from that individual opportunity on the pitch out of a hundred, you know, cause actually is like out of a hundred shots from a similar position on the pitch, this, this would or would not likely go in uh, and no individual chance was above a uh, 0.18. That's not great, Dan. <laughs> not great. Not great, Nick. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, John, what do you got? Yeah, with four number 10s on the field at the same time, it's probably because they all were passing the ball back and forth, always wanting to be the guy with the assist rather than actually getting the goal. Um, that that brings to mind, you know, Conte's run today where I think he really should have taken the shot and tried to work the ball back across. Um, I think that might have been a halfway decent scoring chance, though, you know, over the past couple of years, as we've seen with some of his chances that could have ended up in, you know, the, the 15th row or something too. Um, about the champions, about the top four, though, I really enjoy following, you know, 538, getting back to Shane's uh, math geek stuff, following 538s, um, you know, uh, they basically update their club soccer predictions at the yep. conclusion of every game. And they have uh, Chelsea right now at, at 66% uh, predicted to finish third. Um, it's it's nice that it updates after every game because you can go back and look at the effect of every match too. Uh, Everton right now is at 7% in eighth so if they do end up dropping this game to Burnley I think that could not necessarily stick a fork in them but that would you know certainly hurt their chances but uh you know Spurs is what's really worrying me right now just the the form that they've found again the past three weeks and the fact that they're they've climbed up to um six best likelihood they're 27 percent just behind West Ham's uh 30 percent right now in, in 538's predictions to make the top four so these next two weeks in this, you know, run of four games that people were talking about. Uh, this really is the, the, the time we need to make hay. And, you know, I'd say would probably need to come out of these next four matches with, you know, at, at least eight or nine points. If, if we're going to, um, you know, fend off depending on what West Ham does and um, depending on what, what Spurs do here over the, the next two weeks as well. Um, so I guess go Arsenal and go Man U as dirty as it, Makes me feel to say both those things. Oh, God, it's the worst. All right, look, we, we've been on for an hour, and I, I could not uh, could not get away without um, talking about the Chelsea women, who are, uh, as we've said multiple times on this on our podcast and, and in these locker rooms, the best team at Chelsea by a country mile. Um, full stop. Full. Yep. Stop. Full. Full stop. Uh, the Chelsea women, Dan, have a cup final tomorrow. Uh, their first of of potentially four cup finals that they're going to be a part of this year. Um, four trophies they could win, uh, three cup finals they could be a part of, I should say. Uh, they're they're playing a team that um, look has not had a very a very good time against them in recent memory, and that and that's Bristol City. Uh, 
thoughts and feelings, Dan, to, to kick us off about the Chelsea women's chance of lifting their first trophy. Well, just on aggregate over the last two matches that they have played against Bristol City, uh, it is a 14 to nil uh, run of goals that Chelsea are on versus Bristol. Dan, are you uh, saying that's good? Are you, is that good? I'm saying it's great. Uh, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying that the Chelsea women know how to finish their chances. And uh, that uh, scoreline is indicative of it. The last time they played, uh, it was a Fran Kirby double, uh, Pernell Harder, Sam Kerr and Beth England all getting on the score sheet, which was uh, quite wonderful. And that was back in, in mid February. So the, the pain uh, will be felt maybe again here. I mean, in that game, it was it, it's one of those things where the Chelsea women in a lot of matches are very lopsided favorites. And against Bristol, that's that's absolutely the case. Uh, I mean, Bristol are one of the worst teams in the WSL. Uh, they've got a negative 44 goal difference. Um, they have let through 57 goals this season, which is the highest in the WSL. Um, they have kind of gotten to the final by luck, and uh, I think their luck train uh, has uh, reached the end of its station. I, I see the luck train as one of those like 1800s videos where the train collapses over a pond or a bridge. Um, that's pretty much how that's going to feel to me, I think, tomorrow. Look, if, if you are not consistently watching the Chelsea women and you're in this group, uh, we need you to change that behavior uh, very quickly. They are absolutely outstanding to watch. They're a lot of fun. Uh, Emma Hayes in a cup final. Uh, it, you know, there, there's no manager. Uh, I'd want in the world right now more than Emma Hayes in a cup final. Uh, she is absolutely outstanding. Brandon, uh, what are your, what are your predictions for this game tomorrow? I know we're not in the prediction business very much anymore, but what are your predictions for the cup final? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a staunch defender of this, this women's team. You know, we're talking about the Wolfsburg draw in the champions league that we just got and how that was a bit brutal, but honestly, like I'm really not afraid of anyone with this team. Like I, I go in super bullish and with a ton of confidence and say, you know, let's go. We've seen late comebacks. We've seen just normal time comebacks. We've seen a lot of resiliency and fluidity, um, you know, I think Emma Hayes is, is blessed with so much talent that we, we probably rarely get to see her strongest 11 out there because she has so many people she has to rotate and play. So, um, honestly, like if we're not lifting a trophy tomorrow, I think we, something did not go our way massively. Eight red cards is, is what happened. And, and end of um, days. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, th- this is. Uh, this is going to be an interesting final. I believe it's on the FA Cup player, or uh, not the FA Cup player. The uh, oh, what's the player called? The uh, the app that you can watch FA, this on. It's the FA, FA player. The FA player. Yeah. player. Yeah. So I believe it's on on that tomorrow. Uh, in case you haven't downloaded that app or, or don't have an account, we, we would encourage you to stand one up because it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. The Chelsea women are absolutely dynamic and is the absolute right thing to talk about them in almost every show that we do. Uh, so if you have any thoughts or comments uh, about the final tomorrow, jump in. Otherwise, we'll begin to to wrap this up with some final thoughts. Can confirm it's on the FA player. Um, 
the FA player is what you can find it in the app store. Brandon, what time for, for our friends in the States uh, is, is that match on? Uh, 9.30 Central is what it looks like tomorrow. So 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I will say waking up early for the Chelsea women uh, never disappoints like the men's do. So uh, that that is also something to keep in mind, too. If you're thinking about your life, if you're thinking about your scheduling, you're thinking about it's, you know, a weekend day and you're waking up early, you're, you're, you know, 99.99% of the time, you're not getting disappointed by the Chelsea women's team. So uh, that is also a nice reward in and of itself. Yeah, as, as the men and Blazers used to say all the time, Days like today lead to sad naps, um, and and I did have a little bit of a sad nap earlier. Uh, just doesn't doesn't set your day up properly. But the Chelsea women, a hundred percent, will do that tomorrow. Uh, Brandon, I'm passing to you for a final thought uh, on the Chelsea Leeds match or the Chelsea women's prospects at lifting a cup tomorrow. Hey, just real quick on Chelsea Leeds. Like, I just think it's kind of a hiccup. You know, we tried some different things, didn't work out the way we wanted to. Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna try to lean on Leeds being Leeds and being so different as kind of the the bigger factor there. Uh, and then for Chelsea women, I mean, just you know, double down. Um, you know, we're gonna win a cup. We're gonna. <laughs> Dan. Oh, uh, goofball Brandon Busby there, uh, closing us out on a high note. I don't think I can top it. I just think, uh, you know, go go Chelsea. Win, win another cup. It's great. Well, look, guys, thank you for, for joining us for over an hour on your Saturday. We, we know that you guys have a lot of a lot of things to do with your weekend and that there are probably just some, some frustrations to get out after the, the Leeds result. We will be back with a, a podcast on Monday per usual um, that, that will kind of break all of this down with even more stats and fun facts and all sorts of stuff. Um, but until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. In locker room. Nailed it. See you guys.